0: My very best to get this job that I so crave.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Fan Zone Debate. Uh, we're getting towards the end of the year here. Things are getting spicy. Uh, and we got a match that's actually has nothing to do with the rest of this season, but it will go into next season. Uh, we got Nazario Montenegro going up against Caleb Coho. Um, two of my dear, dear friends. One is a crazy asshole. And the other one is also a crazy asshole. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens here today. Uh, Brian, you're here to judge this one with me, as per usual. How are you doing, sir? You-
2: I thought you were describing your judging panel as well. Um, oh, that's fair. Except we're, we're grumpy old crazy assholes. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. It all works out. Uh, no, no, it's it, we've had a little bit of a break. You know, I had a couple of weeks off and now I'm back here to judge another one. And uh, yeah, these two will be fun to hear argue.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah Kirk <laughs> welcome as well sir
0: uh how are you doing I'm doing all right uh excited for this one we've infused a lot of new blood into the game this season which is cool uh but it's fun to see you know just two of our most you know tenured personalities some of our bigger personalities going head to head uh just some familiar uh you know names that we've uh everybody knows koho everybody knows azario it'll be fun to see them go at it yeah, I agree. Uh,
1: so let's bring them in and start talking to them. Starting with uh, Mr. Coho, Caleb. Welcome. Uh, it's been a minute since we've uh, since we've seen you play. I believe the last time we saw you uh, was earlier this season when you uh, lost early to Cameron Holtzman, uh, and that was the last time we saw you. How are you. you know after that match? I know you were a little uh, annoyed, uh, but now you're back and you get to do something really fun and yell yeah. at Nazario. Uh, are you excited?
3: Yeah, um, I I'm all, I'm always in most debates. If I lose, a little annoyed. Uh, so that that kind of that defines a lot of them. Um, but uh, Nazario should be fun. Um, I'm certain I will be irritated within the first minute of the first argument and never stop being mad uh, for the rest of the fight. So uh, this should be fun. I've never fought someone as outwardly annoying as me at debate before. So this will be fun.
1: <laughs> That's fair. Uh, let's bring in Nazario. Nazario, uh, the last time we saw you, uh, I believe, was last year playing for the title. Uh, you, you oh, went, yeah. Yeah, you went you went for the big one. Uh, didn't quite make it out of that uh, one with the belt, but, you know, really, really good match none the, uh, nonetheless uh, against Kirk. Um, and now you're going up against Koho for another shot in uh, at a contender match. So you win this, you're in a contender match um i should have said that to caleb as well the winner of this is in a contender match uh so uh how are you feeling about that are you looking forward to it what do you think
4: did you lose my phone or something it's been like 10 months um the last time you were here
1: you brought a manager yeah and uh i
4: tried to do that again today he wasn't
1: <laughs> that's fair. that's fair no i didn't lose your phone number other than we only we we're every other week nazario other people got to play you played for the title
4: fair uh I don't know man this this guy is fucking annoying he runs uh, uh something different for me mediocrely but uh haven't had the experience with his replacements yeah you, you're pretty good oh okay. like comparatively that's fair that's fair
1: All right, guys. Uh, Well, this is how it's going to work today. Uh, Nazario and Caleb are going to debate some questions before our very souls this evening based on questions that uh, I gave them based off of categories they drafted. So, uh, like I said, they're going to debate those questions tonight for us, uh, starting with a one-minute opening followed by a five-minute free form followed by a one-minute closing. At the end of each debate, Kirk, Brian, and I will write on our handy-dandy boards who we thought won that point. Best two out of three points wins the question. And the first person to win uh, three questions will win the match. So if we are tied out of the four prep questions, we will move to a bonus question. Should we need it? Gentlemen, do you have any questions about how this is gonna go? Uh no. Should be good. Ah. Okay, let's do it.
4: That is Beautiful. a great fucking
1: movie. Oh, God. It's so fucking good. Uh, all right. So uh, let's get into this with your first question which is by Nazario in the category of directors. The question is, what is the most underrated performance in a post-2000s Pedro Almodovar film? Can't say that name very well, but uh, I did my best. Uh, so Nazario, because you drafted this, you get to kick us off. You get one minute to open your argument when you start talking.
4: <clears throat> okay. Uh, post-2000 Almodovar is actually kind of like a, the best era of his career. He kept growing into uh, his style, and then he hit it out of the park in 1999. So this is like a, a, a vast riches word to pick from. But I would say that uh, Adriano Ugarte's performance in Julieta is definitely the most underrated one. It is, uh, suffers from several small things. One is the one of the few not directly written by Almodovar films. It's based on a, some, some material that he bought. He adapted it. And also the fact that she only works for half a movie. So it sometimes gets lost how great she actually is in it. Uh, she performs this character that not only has to go through the major events on the life of Julieta, who's the main character, but also has to fit into the performance of another actress who's going to replace her, half movie in uh that is emma suarez that is an older more well-known actress so uh, she doesn't have to only do the character she also has to fit the mannerisms of a very well-known person and it's flawless time okay perfect let's move over to caleb
1: for his one minute opening when he starts talking
3: uh i think the most underrated performance uh of any of Almodovar's films comes from his most recent one, Parallel Mothers. Uh, In that film, you have Perel B. Cruz on a giant acting power class. She got nominated for it. She's like incredible. What makes her performance so good is the person she's playing off of who was never mentioned. And I've not heard ever uh, in, um, in Melania Smith. Uh, And she plays the other Parallel Mother, uh, the one who actually has an incredible arc who is a very lively and bubbly person uh, when they're both in the pregnancy ward. And then by the end of the film, uh, like through the middle of the film is is a embittered, broken and rebuilding person uh, and then has her own relationship with with Penelope Cruz tested and strained. And while Cruz was the one that got all the recognition, I think Smith's the better performance. I think Smith might be one of the best performances that Almodovar's ever gotten in a movie. Uh, it's a very human, very powerful, very transformative performance that no one talked about last year.
1: Time. Okay, uh, five-minute form. When one of you guys starts talking, please don't talk over each other or I will yell at you and I'll put a banner up on the screen for a one-minute warning when the time comes. So, have fun.
4: Yeah, the reason nobody talks about Milena Smith is that she wasn't very good. The movie... Uh is supposed to be carried by both actresses, and Penelope Cruz just ran laps around her. And I don't blame her. Milena Smith is a very young actress. She, This is like her second movie or something. She didn't know she needed to emote or change faces from scene to scene, but it's fine. Uh, in the other hand, Adriana Ugarte actually had to deal with all the big events of Julieta's life. The way she meets her husband, uh, the accident that takes his life, her pregnancy, and uh, Alzheimer's with her mother, and she goes through it flawlessly, like I said previously. I think it's pretty crazy that you said all those things about parallel mothers when
3: that is literally what happens in Julieta. Um parallel mothers as a as like a structured performance, Smith's better than Cruz. Like this might be Cruz's best performance and Smith's out acting her. You're right, it's her second performance ever and she's creating one of the most human performances of last year maybe in, in Almodovar's entire filmography. It's a very young and soulful performance that becomes very like broken and embittered and changed and it's a transformative one whereas yours uh, honestly like, is the most forgettable film in his filmography for a reason because she's okay. She might be the best thing in that movie, but she's also not great in that movie because she's just doing a like imitation of Penelope Cruz in every of our movie. Like, she doesn't have a personality. That character is not a character. That performance is not a performance. It's an imitation of someone else rather than a character or a performance.
4: Uh, yeah, but forgettable Elmo uh, movies. You may be thinking about. I'm so excited. Uh, Which I is could... his best movie? No. Yeah. God damn. Yes, no. Uh, Milena Smith does not emote at all during this movie. She goes through this huge arc. You're right. She gets raped when she was a teenager. Her parents disown her. Yeah. She has a kid. She loses that kid. And then she grows close to the one friend she made in the hospital who also had a kid on the same day and that eventually turns out to be, surprise, her kid. But uh, she never tells you this in her performance. She just looks like this. And when she has sad, she looks like this. And when she's crying, she looks like this and she does not emote. It's a very monotone performance. This film was actually... Considered- you were just showing that she emoted. That's literally emotion. What you just did Emotion it was- is behind... Emotion. This is making a face. Emotion is what you put behind it. What I'm saying is this movie was originally sure. intended to be a co-lead performance. Even Almodovar himself said it in an interview that when he saw how far ahead Penelope Cruz's character was, he actually had to adapt the story so it worked more into her as a main character because it was supposed to be, as the title says, parallel mothers. And yet... This is a very uneven movie when you compare the two actresses. I think you didn't watch parallel mothers. Like I think I just I can't believe you didn't see what
3: everyone else clearly should be seeing. Melanie Smith, Melania Smith in that movie, where you're like, oh, she just does have an emotion, and then clearly show that she is acting and making like actual emotional cho- choices. Making faces that is character, not that character and that performance in that film is one of the most powerful performances because you don't need to see Bright, giant facial expressions like Ugart does, which she doesn't act, she just makes seven different like choices of like this is what Penelope Cruz would do in this moment, and those clearly does that. Whereas like Melania <sighs> Smith in Parallel Mothers is giving a really understated performance. Like trauma and pain does not have to be flashy, and what she does in that movie is really, really
4: trauma and emotionally pain relevant. Is what Ugarte actually does in Julieta, when she has to look to the trauma of maybe causing the death of an old man. She meets her husband. She has a passionate night. She decides to to go live with him, even though he still has a wife. And then she dies and then they get together. They have a child that they cannot connect with. And then they have an argument because the guy keeps having an affair. And given that fight, he goes into sea and dies. She has to carry that. And you are making a mistake. You're saying she's a moaning like a Penelope Cruz. If you compare any Penelope Cruz character to Ugarte's character in Julieta, you can see completely difference because she, what is trying to do, she's taking this character that it was created especially for another actress, Emma Suarez, and she has to not only develop that character, carry the movie strategies on it, but also fit the performance of Emma Suarez on the end of the movie. Okay, but that's actually really incredibly easy, because all you have to do is base your performance off of someone else's already created performance
3: within the same film. So that's not very impressive at all. You have reference points to then do that. So she's not really doing much of anything special. She's just imitating. And then when you're like, oh, she has to do all this trauma and pain, she's not really doing that because she's just taking that from other Almodovar movies where Penelope Cruz is in the, in the lead role because she looks a lot like Penelope Cruz and she is doing a lot of Penelope cruz is in can that that whereas, actor, whereas, You can whereas, say that about any actress. You can say that about Melania Smith, though, who is giving an incredibly unique and powerful performance that is different from anything you've ever seen in an Almodovar film because in every Almodovar film – Every single performance has a very similar sort of pastiche and flair and Smith does not have that. She's giving Every you rock, movie she's movie giving, real, and she's giving you that
4: tragedies, movie. and that is exactly what her character is. Time. All right. Uh Caleb, you get to close
1: first. You have 1 minute when you start talking.
3: I think Nazario is like actually really helped my argument here today by consistently bring up the fact that his performance is just someone else doing an imitation of someone else in their own movie. And then on top of that, their own original ideas that they think they have are just Penelope Cruz-isms. Like That's all Almodovar really does direct, which is what makes my performance, where someone is acting against Penelope Cruz and being incredibly unique and special and different, even better. It makes her performance even more understated. And the argument's underrated. We've talked about Julieta and Ugarta, who was in the Oscar conversation in her given year. That movie was actually in the race. Parallel Mothers in that race was all about Penelope Cruz, who is being outacted by Smith. Like, Smith is doing so much more powerful heavy lifting to the point of the story. Throughout the entire film, it's that character and that performance that has to sell you on the tragedy that comes in the third act and the revelation through it all. And Cruz just gets to have the really flashy, oscar moments of reacting to Smith's performance. And that's why it's crazy to me that the reactionary performance was nominated and Smith has never been talked.
1: Time. Okay, we're gonna bring in Nazario for his closing. One minute when you start talking.
4: The first thing he says is that Ugart is trying to do what every almodovar movie does. And what Smith is character essentially is, is the same character that is in every Almodovar film. It's the sad mother with a sad story and a tragic event. The difference is other actresses actually can carry that role. Smith can't. She looks like a stiff, she does not emote. She doesn't put anything behind her performance. And she gets outclassed by Cruz at every single moment. I don't even know what he's talking about, Ugarte and the Oscars. The Oscar didn't even nominate this movie. They was like completely aloof. Uh, and speaking of recognition, if you want to say about underrated, Melinda Smith actually got nominated for Best Supporting Actress in the Goyas, which is a Spain version of actresses, which says basically she had some recognition. Ugarte's, whose actual performance was way better than that, didn't even get nominated locally, internationally, nothing. Nobody understands the the development of her character or the great work she did to fit with them as far as. Okay. All
1: right. Bring in everybody else. All right, judges, we ready?
0: Mm-hmm sure okay
1: (laughs) fair uh this was interesting uh lots of stuff about the movies being brought up uh and about like what happens to the characters in the movie um it was weird uh I went with Nazario I thought that Caleb's closing was really, really strong, but I thought that Nazario's closing was able to kind of counter most of everything Caleb said. And I thought that Nazario's overall um, take on just the – I thought he was able to take down Koho's performance really well by saying, you know, like, it's just every other – there have been many other performances similar that are much better. Hers and Penelope Cruz is acting her like crazy. Um, and then I thought that his comparison to, I didn't buy into co-host holes. She's just imitating the older actress. Like that didn't really work for me. I thought Nazario's argument for they like having to curate your performance based off of a performance from a much well-known actress. I thought that worked really well. So I
2: went with Nazario.
1: Brian, where'd you go?
2: Uh, yeah, this is this was an interesting one for me because I have not seen either movie, obviously, so I'm judging solely by their debate. Um, and it was a lot of talk about a lot of a lot of criticism of the other person's performance, not as much as I would have liked to have hear heard about their own. Uh, it became a lot of which person is better at not being healthy Cruz.
3: Um, healthy <laughs> Over
2: It It really, for me, was it was a, a complete toss up towards the end. I guess what finally won me over was in the closing. I actually ended up voting for Caleb. Um what I guess tipped the scales for me is uh, uh, he said a line about uh, how in uh, Julieta she's just doing cruise whereas his person had to play against Penelope Cruz and not be overshadowed by her. And that, I think, was was aimed more towards the underrated than just the performance. Okay. And uh, Kirk?
0: Uh, this was tough. I hate underrated, overrated questions because um, it's a trap for both both players, really. Um, because it's two, it's two things. It's, was it good or was it bad? Did it deserve <laughs> recognition or not, which is just a lot of opinion. And then, it's on the other hand, it's did it get recognition, which is kind of hard to quantify one way or the other. Um, so I looked for something concrete to uh, latch on to. I think they both made good arguments, good counter-arguments. Um, but I ultimately went with Nazario, um, because a big part of uh, Coho's argument was um, how strong... The uh, his actress performance was against Penelope Cruz and uh, the one thing that stuck out with me was when uh, Nazario said that the director actually had to change the story because her performance wasn't strong enough so I think that shot it out and in, in a very close uh, contest that was the tipping point for me
1: Alright, fair enough Alright, so Nazario wins point number one we're going to move on to the second question uh, which is going to be in the category of as soon as I find it DC it's going to be the category of DC <clears throat> And the question is, what is the most exciting scene in a Superman movie? Uh, So, uh, Caleb, you take this one off? You got one minute when you start talking.
3: It's no secret that I love Superman. (laughs) Like, he's my favorite superhero. Uh, And I think one of the most exciting and iconic moments in all of film comes when Margot Kidder's Lois Lane is in a helicopter above the the planet. And when that helicopter uh, malfunctions, it starts coming down. There's a whole bunch of chaos happening. People are watching this helicopter fall and she's hanging from the helicopter. And finally she falls and she gets caught by Christopher e. Superman. And he's like, I've got you, miss. And she says, you got me, who's got you? And I think that is an incredible moment, a very exciting moment to finally see the most, arguably, one of the most iconic characters in all fiction on film for the very first time in the suit, saving someone, and have that really great moment of in this movie that has primarily been about Clark Kent, the character, and who he is and what he's about. To finally see him step into the role of Superman to actually save someone to finally kind of come of age in this movie is an incredible moment.
1: Time. Okay. Uh, let's move over to Nazario. One minute when you start talking.
4: Boy, exciting and Superman in film does not go together very well. So I actually went with a mo- different movie, actually one that I think is way underrated, which is Superman Returns. The biggest thing this movie has is trying to fit the same chronology as the Christopher Reeve movies. But given the limitations, I do feel that the scene where Superman returns to public light for the first time during the, fo- the film, while they are having an accident with the test airplane that is supposed to fly a little bit our space, pool with the, the rock. The rocket ship is actually the most exciting thing that happens in the whole series of Superman films. Uh, He has to actually find ways to use his powers to separate the rocket from the plane. So he has to uh, have his attention face on one half of the problem while the other one is pummeling down. And the whole time you're thinking something can can go wrong here uh, because the plane is full of people, even though it has Lois Lane, though. Uh, but he has the chance to actually lose some people in, in choosing where to do first and who to save. The whole scene is, is thrilling and visually very impressive. Impressive. Strike it from the record. Uh, let's bring in
1: Coho, five-minute freeform, guys, when one of these starts talk.
3: So your entire scene is maybe the most sterile action set piece in Superman Returns, and to call it exciting is a joke because we know Superman's going to win. We know Superman's going to save the plane because he always saves the plane. Um, and that's why my scene, your scene is just like, hey, let's try and do the scene that we <sighs> did with the helicopter and try and recapture that magic again. Whereas the magic of my scene, it's not necessarily magic. about the, te- it's not the tension of, is he going to save the person? It's that he's saving the person. It's the excitement of seeing him in the suit for the first time and switching into the telephone booth and pulling the shirt open and flying up and saving someone. Well, that makes that scene powerful and is like the embodiment of Superman. Oh my God. And that's what makes that scene electric. Yours, however, is just thing, a soulless less scene.
4: The first thing you said is that you know Superman is gonna save the person. It's Lois Lane on the first Superman movie where yes. she's gonna meet him. She's gonna save him. It's the same thing yes. that you're just accusing me of having. Second, he does not I, change the no, phone boot. He goes to a phone booth and he looks at it, ha, ha, and then he opens his clothes in the middle of the street so everybody can see him, and then he changes on a spinning glass transparent door. And that's when yes. he's changing to Superman. Coho, your scene makes no Great. sense. It's no thrilling at all because it does he everybody knows what is gonna happen. But this is the part that you know, breaks any kind of tension for me. It makes no sense. She's falling at full speed from a deadlift on, on gravity's pull, and he's fa- uh, flying up ups to her at maximum speed. And then they they find each other in the middle. You know what should have happened? She should have been broken in two because that man is the strongest thing in the world. He should your have favorite- maximum speed and pick him
3: up. Please tell me that your favorite scene in Batman in, in a Superman movies in Batman v Superman when he, like, creepily slowly shows up under her to stop her gravity because you're that kind of, like... Creep about physics. Oh, Boys, yeah. I think that's the dumb. I think that's dumb. I think it's a movie about a guy in a suit that flies. If you're worried about those physics, you are not going to get past the first three minutes of Superman. The How, thing with R two. with two movies. The thing with R two movies is that you have picked a scene that is a cheap imitation of trying to capture the magic of what mine is, and you keep saying, "Oh, it's about the you know he's going to save Lois Lane." That's not what makes my scene exciting. My scene's not about him saving anyone. That's not what like the tension there is not that. It's not a scene that's like exciting in the sense of, oh, it's tense and we're trying to save people. Because yours doesn't have that either. Yours has nothing to it except it's 2006 and we're using big budget visual effects to try and recapture the first one. The
4: the thing that makes mine exciting is because it's the first time you're seeing Superman. Let me speak. To have a scene that is exciting you have to be invested in it how can you be invested in something that doesn't make sense physically speaking when he's trying to save the plane he uses his powers to separate the rocket they go into a little free fall with no gravity and start falling when he goes down to try to save the plane he catches the plane and he tries the first thing to is lifting the flips pulling the wing that breaks off. That plan didn't go right. It's, it's a worse situation now. He has to go back and think of something else. You can see there's repercussions to the thing that is happening. It becomes more and more confusing and it's exciting. On yours, he, she should have been dead, number one. Then the helicopter falls and he catches it with one hand while carrying her, same full speed, that doesn't even bend. The helicopter doesn't even bend, doesn't even part into nothing. He grabs it like he's grabbing like a little lollipop and puts it on top and makes a freaking joke. How is that exciting? You literally just said the reason my scene
3: doesn't work is because the physics don't make sense. And then proceed to say, how can the strongest human who has ever existed hold a helicopter in one hand? So you can't have it both. The helicopter should have Here's bends. Thing. That was my point. The metal bends. I don't care, it's 1978, and that's not the reason why the scene doesn't work. You're nitpicking my scene because you realize there's no argument for why my scene isn't actually an exciting introduction to the character. I'm explaining why it's scene, not exciting. Your scene, but it makes no your, sense. your scene actively has nothing exciting about it because it's just a really long visual effects demo where you're like, oh, things are falling off and doing things. That doesn't change the fact that we know Superman at the end of the day is going to land that plane and save everyone on it. There's no emotional excitement to that scene within the context of Superman or that movie to make it anything more than a visual effects real demo. Mine is literally, you have the score. You have the character of Christopher Reeve in the suit for the first time. You have him interacting with Lois Lane and in his first moments, showing up in Metropolis and introducing the world to this is Superman and this is what he's all about. If, I want, that that so excited. Display,
4: if I want a big display of Special effects. I would have had the scene where they shoot him in the eye in the slow motion. Which is so a more that exciting
3: looks, scene. and you that, look the pretty,
4: that looks pretty cool. It's a second of screen time, and it's a good special effect. This is exciting. A more exciting There is a progression. Scene. There is something that happens when he starts to do the rescue. The rescue doesn't go the way he expects. He tries something else. Those people in that plane at that moment yes. do not know Superman is back. And the moment you can see the, the, the plane people look through the window, and they see him flying back, they're like, oh, my God, Superman's back. And he catches the plane. And there is actual risk here. There's other people involved that can't die. Lois Lane is never going to die. But the other people now make the scene more thrilling because there's change.
1: Oh, my God. Nazari. You get to go first. You got one minute when you start talking.
4: His whole scene can be summed up in Superman flies up, catches Lois Lane. Who got you? Put her on top. Joke. It's stupid because it doesn't make sense physically. If you're watching that, I mean, you, it just jumps at you that it doesn't make sense. It looks like the helicopter is on a rig and Superman is on a rig and the whole thing does not work. It's not its not even exciting as, as a scene if he had done it right, which is matching her speed. Mine has a progression. He has to separate the plane from the rocket. You see the no gravity scene where everybody just for a second and they start falling. He tries to fix the wing. He tries to pull the the, the the plane from the back. The plane part goes and splits in, in middle. He doesn't know what to do. He so flies back, changes his style. Everybody's worried. There's actual risk involved. Lois Lane is never going to die. We have to accept that. In any of the two scenes, but mine involves a lot of other people who actually might be, you know, casualties on the side. He catches the plane. Even at the moment he catches it by the nose of the plane. You can see the ripple effect on the metal that has some gravity to it. And he lays it down on a baseball field. And it's a thrilling applause moment that breaks up. I don't understand what you said, but whatever
1: that last word was, strike it from the record. Uh, go to Coho for his one-minute closing when he starts talking.
3: Nazario trying really hard to sell you on the idea that because there are more people on the plane, that that makes this really big visual effect spectacle better. The plane falling apart does not change the fact that all those people still live, and he still lands the plane in the baseball diamond because he's su- he's Superman. He's it's it's Superman. He's gonna save the day. That's his first action set piece. You bring up the visual effects of the bullet, that's the more exciting scene. There are more exciting scenes in your movie, but you chose this one, which has no stakes and no heart to it. It's an avoid emotionless thing. By the way, there is another person in my scene. He flies the helicopter and he gets saved in the scene that you say, does not make any sense because he catches it with one hand? Superman is Superman. If your issues with a 1978 Superman movie are that he catches Lois Lane and she doesn't explode, I'm sorry Zack Snyder doesn't make your Superman movies anymore. When it comes to Superman and my scene, there's more at stake and more exciting things to making mine interesting than the tension of catching a helicopter. It's the whole circle moment of Clark Kent becoming who he's supposed to be in superman yours is a brian singer voidless shit.
1: oh my god (laughs) oh i started laughing out loud really hard at one point i don't remember what was said but it made oh god there were a couple things there that made me laugh so hard holy shit oh you guys are ready to go wow okay um
0: okay
1: uh kirk you're going first
0: and you're muted everybody ready to go yes okay um yeah this is one of those fights where uh you could tell one person was pretty passionate about it and uh one person wasn't necessarily that passionate about it. i think Desario kind of did that at the beginning um and that's part of what won me over i did go with coho um i think coho at first, I was like, oh, wow!" Well, just we, we, I was equating action and excitement. And I thought, oh, there's a lot more action in uh, Nazario's scene. But Koho really sold me on how the excitement comes in seeing uh, Superman, him introducing Lois Lane, hearing the score, all that stuff. Um, and I think Nazario just got too hooked up on physics. And um, I think there's a lot of examples out there of bad physics and exciting movies. Um, so I, I kind of had to throw that argument out. Um, I think Kohar handled this one pretty well. Uh, this is this is a lot closer for me, I guess, because <laughs> I'm just a dumbass. Uh, but
1: I I had a lot of fun with this one. I thought they both did a really good job because, um, I, I I didn't throw out the physics thing because we're not talking about every other movie. Like it was tough. Like I I think it's bullshit too, but like I had to take it at face value in my opinion. Uh, what he was saying. Um, but I. I have to go with based off how I feel on the arguments and I actually voted for Nazario. Um I agree that Koho was super passionate and I liked what he was saying but I guess I maybe am equating action with with exciting. I get what Koho was going for of saying like the excitement of seeing this character in 1978 first time like Superman's there like I I don't disagree with any of that. It just didn't equate to exciting to me whereas like when Nazario was talking about all the physics stuff that actually went into his scene and um, how going through like the psyche of like Superman being like, okay, this plan failed. I got to get it, try the next thing. What am I going to do? Like that all worked for me. Like, I thought this was really good though. I had, I had a really good time watching this one. So I love you, Coho. Sorry. Uh, But Brian, you're deciding this one.
2: Uh, Well, I think this was started off very accurately when Nazario said exciting and Superman don't really go well together. Cause especially when you're ruling out worlds of DC movies, which we were here. Um, uh, Superman movies, I, I honestly can't think of any exciting scenes in any of them. Um, as far as like you know what, what you can traditionally consider exciting, which is actually why I voted for Coho because I thought he was smart to take that different approach and say, well, exciting doesn't have to mean you know the best action scene. Ex- exciting in a different way, such as the excitement of you know the the first appearance of Superman, the first time he's wearing his suit, all that kind of stuff. I thought that was smart smarter to take that approach in a one. <laughs>
1: Uh, So Koho wins the second point. We are tied up one-to-one as we get into the next question, uh, which was drafted by Nazario. It is in the category of Disney Animation. And the question is, which segment from a packaged Disney film would make the best full-length film? Uh, So, uh, Nazario, you drafted this. You get to kick us off. You got one minute when you start talking.
4: I think the clear answer here would be uh, Mickey and the Beanstalk. Uh, it's actually Disney's bread and butter to adapt fairy tales into, into large uh, feature length movies. And this is like ready-made. Uh, if you watch the short, you know that it starts off in Happy Valley with a summary of the events that led to what beginnings, the kicks of the film. And you also can know that in the end, it gets a, a, a strange cut when they escape the giant into a realistic approach with the actors that are live in the studio. I think this opens uh, both sides of the movie to actually more, much more interesting. You can do the creation of Happy Valley. You can see the development of how it became this magical place up to the point where the harp got stolen. You also can use a lot of other Mickey and Friends characters like Minnie, Daisy, Pete. You can fill up the the roster of characters with them. You can make Minnie the harp. You can make Pete the giant. And it all becomes very much appealing. And you can actually give them the short, a proper ending that is worth it. And with Mickey and Friends... You basically secure yourself ahead. Time. Okay. Uh, we're going to move over to Koho
1: for his one minute opening when he starts talking.
3: There's a lot of reasons why a full-length beanstalk movie would be awful. But I think the correct choice for a full story is to take a movie that condensed a really, really popular, important piece of literature into just 20 minutes. That can be easily an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes in The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. You have the introduction of Ichabod Crane. You have Katrina Bontassel, Tassel, Brom Bones, a whole city in Sleepy Hollow, and a bunch of people that you are introduced to in quick little moments in the short. And you have the incredible chase with the Headless Horseman at the end. You have all sorts of ex- of possibilities to explore Sleepy Hollow and those characters and those relationships to really establish why Ichabod Crane matters to this town and why his disappearance at the end is so affecting, why he would fall for Katrina, the rivalry with Braum and Ichabod. There's a lot of narrative potential to grow that story out. And it would have been a perfect full-length animated movie, especially because that chase at the end is such a climactic finale. And to give you even more, like, emotional payoff to those characters by making you care about them leading into that chase in that finale would make it improved than what it already is
1: already is straight from the record uh let's bring in the zari <laughs> five minute free form when one of you starts talking
4: i love how, how are you uh, gonna animate starts-
3: mickey cutting off the giant's head my guy because here's
4: the issue and there's a reason they hey. cut that shit hey. off with with actors stop, stop screaming no no no, no, no. stop screaming no,
3: no, no. I love the what fact I'm that saying? you had
4: to take your fair 15 seconds of your intro to try to trash mine. And speaking of how they need to cut the head off the giant, you can avoid that. You can find another way to do that. You cannot avoid the freaking headless horseman who cuts heads for a living. And that, by the way, and doesn't exciting, is the most exciting part of your whole story. And now you're saying, it's too gory to cut the giant's head. How about the guy who's going to cut Ikebo's head and everybody else's head and make it gory in an animated You've display? never watched the movie, and I'll tell you
3: why because he never cuts a head off. That's the point. The reason why he's scary is because you build him up through words, and you can make that even more stronger by having him have interactions with people who claim they've met the Headless Horseman, who have seen the Headless Horseman, make it more of a ghost tale, and keep building up that reputation so when he shows up at the end, you're even more scared of him, and he still never cuts off a head. Because what happens, if you remember, is he throws the pumpkin, hits the camera, it cuts to black, and when we come back, Ichabod's gone. Yours, however, the whole either.
4: Then cut the head of you. Wait, stop, stop. No, 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 I time. didn't get to
3: make my point. You didn't you make up. your point. I'm saying, saying is they cut the head
4: of the giant, which doesn't happen in the movie either.
3: What I'm saying is, with Mickey and the Beanstalk, is that could not sustain an hour and a half. Because what you want to do is you want to pad out 30 minutes of filler, which was perfectly condensed in three minutes. I don't need to see 30 minutes of, hey, here's a bunch of animated harps and singing and land that is suddenly going to go dark and sad like it covers it like literally what you want to do is take what a perfect prologue is supposed to do where they to take the whole five minute band to- it out whereas yours whereas Stop. yours your no what Stop. your big issue is is your finale your finale cuts off perfectly because it's a great joke on the fact that that story does not have an ending the beanstalk does not have a good ending you're gonna have to still kill the giant it doesn't matter if you cut his head off or he falls either way who wants to see that
4: Okay, your whole story is based on the last two minutes where the horseman runs after Ichabod Crane. The rest of that short is trash. It's 30 minutes long, and nobody cares about Ichabod, the ugly guy trying to pick up the wristband, Wait. so they give him... Put- I'm speaking right now. To, the, to try to give, him, to give him food. He tries to get Katrina just because she is the heir of the mayor of the town because she has money. That is his interest, not that he cares about her. And her main rival is the bully of the town who wants to get her because he's a strong guy. And the message in the end is that after Ichabod disappears, she marries the bully anyway because this is all hateful people that you don't like. You want to make a good Sleepy Hollow movie, you have to change that story. And if you're basing it on the Disney show, you just cannot do that. You need two things. You need a better story and you need gore. And those things are in the better versions of Sleepy Hollow, which are rated R by the way, from 1999, and you cannot do that as a Disney long animated film. You can do Happy Valley, you can do a Pete as a giant, and you can explore the land in the sky as a Honey Strong the Kids kind of thing, where they are traversing giant-shaped things trying to reach the castle. And you just said you have to change mine entirely and then you
3: pitch, let's not do Mickey and the Beanstalk. Let's completely rewrite what that is. What I am pitching is the story that mine's based off is what I'm pitching. All the actual- It's supposed to be based on the animated short. Except that the animated short that they have there is already great and has a lot of potential. So what you do to expand it is take the stuff that they cut from the original source material, which is why we care about the characters how they interact with each other, their motivations, the whole town around them, why the Headless Horseman is scary, why that matters. Make a movie leading into the chase, and that movie is even better. Whereas yours, you are fundamentally changing. You are fundamentally changing. You are fundamentally changing. What yours is about, Nazario. You are literally taking what is a great short and cannot be longer than 20 minutes, and want to make an hour and 45 minutes. You want to make Jack the Giant Slayer with Mickey Mouse in it. The story is not fit for feature length like one time. That is what time. you are mine
4: saying is. because you have no imagination. And literally, you're pitching the same thing that I'm pitching, except mine actually can work because the people in Happy Valley are likable. You can see the development of the town. You have the character from Mickey and Friends that actually can fill your valley with likable characters. You, have, you can develop the story, make them go to the sky, Explore the giant-shaped things. Meet giant Pete. Take over the heart. Bring it back and bring the restore the valley to a happy place because it became dreadful. Yours has unlikable characters, unlikable protagonists okay. with all unla- okay. like evil reasons to actually just be there because he just okay. wants money. And the, the bully of the town is his very fucking rival, and he wins it there by the way. You had taken because he dies a scene to last two minutes, two minutes. That is the, um, uh, the amount of horsemen you get in that short. And you're saying, you know what? Let's just. Pull it away. What are you going to do? Ten minutes of horsemen? That's enough? No, the whole point of mine that I keep saying is that there is a whole
3: world of characters. And that Ikebaut is a good person and a nice, likable character. But because in the short that you didn't watch, he has more to give.
1: All right, Koho, you get to go first. You got five minutes when one of you starts talking. Or when you start talking. And you get the one. Point I said five. You
3: get one minute,
1: sure. sir. Thank
3: you. The point I've been trying to make over Nazario's entire screaming is that mine actually can sustain a feature length runtime because he keeps going, oh, these characters are unlikable. That's not true. And the only reason you think they're unlikable is because you only saw them for six minutes when you actually get to know who they all are, who, what Katrina's issues are and what she's going through. That Ichabod Crane is a school teacher that does care about the people. And yes, while he has a very murky sense of, oh, I do really like this person, but I can get more out of it. And Brom Bones, what's his relationship to Katrina? You can learn about so many more of these people and create more interesting drama in a feature-length Sleepy Hollow runtime. He says the chase is the only interesting part. That's not true. Ikema Crane is a great protagonist with a lot to offer in a feature-length film because he is so unique and one of the most well-drawn characters. He's funny, he's quippy, he's charming. You can do a lot with that. Whereas in Mickey and the Beanstalk, if you're gonna put the Mickey characters into Mickey and the Beanstalk. It's perfect. It's already been done. It's a great 15 minute short. If you t- stretch it out to an hour and a half, you have to create more harp singing and try and pad out that runtime with bullshit exposition and a bad conclusion.
1: Time. All right, move over to Nazario for his one minute closing.
4: He's saying he's going to base it on the short. Uh, the short presents us a Nick about that just wants to get physical things, like material things. He goes against the, the fat, rich women of the town. He goes against the, the Katrina, who's the richest guy's daughter, just because he wants to get the most money he can. That's very unlikable. Katrina is not interested in him. She just likes Bones instead, but she's just doing it because of her father. This is a, an unlikable story. The successful Sleepy Hollow stories, like the 1999 movie, changed the whole story and up the gore. Are you going to up the gore and show more of the horsemen in a Disney animated film? I think not. He's accusing me of doing the same thing he wants to do, except mine actually has where to go with it. Happy Valley has a story, how it became the Happy Valley, and then how it turns into a dark, somber place when they stole the harp. You can expand that. You can put fun, uh, known characters in there. You can make it a successful animated film in the world of Disney. They do this as for their living. You know, it's fairy tales. They have, they change the endings when they get too dark, and they make them appealable for everyone. Time.
1: Okay. Uh, let's bring in the judges.
0: Tim, can I get a repeat on the question?
1: Yeah, your question again. Which segment from a Disney package film would make the best full-length film? You guys ready? Yeah. Yes. Okay, Brian, you're starting.
2: I would first like to remind both contestants in the next uh, rounds to remember the rules of let each other speak and don't yell over each other. Thank you. Um, that being said, I with Nazario this time. Um, I thought that uh, he made a really good point when he was talking about how uh, his story has a room to expand and things that you could, places you could go with it. Whereas uh, he talked about how Sleepy Hollow was already padded with stuff just to get to the length that it was as a short.
0: Uh, Kirk? Um, this is a... Uh, this is close. This is good. And I don't want to remind you to uh, let each other speak because that was the most entertaining fight so far. So. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, no. Uh, yeah, it was tough. I think you both made good points, but I think when you... The reason I asked for the question, it doesn't necessarily have to be an animated movie from the way I interpret it. So... Um, Some of the stuff that was argued, I think, kind of cancels out with that. Um, I think they both, and it basically became a pitch. So it became whose movie I want to watch the most. And um, for me, it was Coho. I think when Coho started talking about getting into that source material and expanding on the characters and getting to know those characters better, getting to know those motivations, that's what really piqued my interest um, the most out of anything either of them had to say. Um, So I think Coho edged that one out just a little bit
1: uh i'm a big disney guy people know this about me i think uh and i don't like either of these shorts <laughs> which is weird uh but uh going based off the arguments and i agree with kirk it did it is kind of almost a pitch question uh in disguise and i thought that both yeah the arguments of like they both kind of said like expand the story like do this like th- those kind of like cross each other out for me um it, this was this was tough for me too i again ko i swear to god i don't hate you i did go with nazario i thought that at the end of the day nazario's pitch of like taking all of like the classic disney characters filling them into the story and like honestly a big point against ko too was like right out of the gate uh koho was like i'm gonna expand the story with like everything and then but how are you gonna cut a head off of something in, in the beanstalk, and the Zario was like, you're fucking telling a story about the Headless Horseman. What are you talking about? I thought that was really good, but I swear to God, Coho, I don't hate you. This happens every now and then, and I, I feel terrible, but it's how I feel. Uh, So Nazario wins the point, um, making it two to one, uh, but we are going to move into the final prep question, uh, which was drafted by Mr. Coho, in the category of Classics. <clears throat> the question is, what is the best pre-1950s Jimmy Stewart film? Uh So, Koho, you get to kick this one off. You got one minute when you start talking.
3: I think the best and maybe most important movie that Jimmy Stewart ever made in his career is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Um, I think that Capra and Smith craft what is still to this day the shining example of what one of the most infuriating aspects of humanity is. Uh, And like Prove that you can have goodness uh, in places and change people who don't see the same as you or have different motivations than you. And that at the end of the day, all it takes is one person to change a nation and change a system. And I think that's what's really special about Mr. Smith. And Smith, and that comes down to Stewart's amazing performance with the filibuster scene. That comes down to Capra's brilliant direction of, like, Claude Rains as the seedy politician and the, uh, and the people who control him and their motivations to get a dam put in. And Jefferson Smith being like, well, I kind of want to do this. And when he then becomes their pawn and being the person that gets, like, scapegoated for all this, I think it's something that you watch and it's super realistic, but yet is also a championing for the best in humanity. Time. Okay, uh,
1: we move over to Nazario. You have one minute when you start talking.
4: I believe this is uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, the best pre nineteen fifties Stewart film uh, is it's *A Wonderful Life*. It's a classic for a reason. It's a, it's an actual story of an honest to god good man, and how that can make a change uh, into not just your life, but as uh, everybody you interact with, and even in a small town. How the ripples effects can touch everybody's life. Uh, this was a very unlucky man. Uh, the things that happened to him, uh, just he kept rolling with the punches. He had plans. He had grandeur plan for his life, and he always had to make the tough choice and sacrifice the the needs of himself for the needs of his family and the needs of his town. Even when things were planned to go a different way, he sacrificed because others to give the opportunity to others, like like his brother, to you know move on instead. And when they show you in the end, when everything just falls apart, uh, and he just wishes to die, what his, the life of all these people were touched by him were—it's just a beautiful moment. Time. Okay. Uh,
1: hey, I've seen both
3: of these. Uh, Five-minute free form. When on one of you starts okay. talking. So, we both picked two really good movies. This is going to be a really hard fight. I'll say that hmm. right now. But I think that it's a wonderful life ultimately doesn't <laughs> quite reach what makes Mr. Smith Goes to Washington better because when Capra gets too self-indulgent, he gets a little too schmaltzy and he gets a little too cheesy. And I think there are moments in It's a Wonderful Life where he kind of leans into that a little bit too much with like the, the, he saves his brother at the beginning of his life and how he loses his hearing. And then they use that to do a lot of like, look how great he was. And like all the different, like altruistic natureness of the movie can be a little bit laid on, a little thick. Uh, whereas Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, I think rides that line a little like, Perfectly, like rides the lightning all the way through where he's able to balance the the optimism, but also the realism of that situation.
4: I do not agree at all. Uh, I think this is the perfect example of a butterfly effect movie because it's limited to a small town. So in a small town like this, everybody's lives get intertwined. And yes, the fact that you save your brother when he's a kid and you lose your hearing can have an effect 30 years later when that brother comes back and does something that is actually positive for your life and the town. Sure. Even people that you don't know because he goes to war and he saves saves people. That couldn't be saved if that wouldn't have happened. In the case of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, it's kind of the same spirit, it's the same uh, one person can make a different thing, but they, they decided to make uh, James Stewart a bad character because Mr. Smith is a simpleton and uh, naive uh, to a fault. and. It's not realistic at all that he would be put in a position of power like this uh, just because, you know, the, the son of the governor likes the, the Cub Scout leader. OK, I'm going to I'm going to save you right now. That whole situation
3: is actually one of the most realistic because that actually is based on real life. Like that whole thing is really based on the fact that a governor would appoint a senator to go to Congress in the place of a death. Like they've explored explored that in other mediums. So instantly, your point doesn't make any sense. Jefferson Smith's actually probably one of the best characters, if not the best character Capra's ever made, because he's not he's not just naive, he's the everyman, he's you, he's me. And he's and that's why when I'm he comes into the story, that. when he comes into the story, it matters a lot that he's like, I stick up for what I believe in in a whole room of people who aren't doing that. And that's what makes him special. And whereas your movie you, I don't know why you like keep bringing up the whole, like oh, the brother thing. The brother thing's fine. That wasn't the point I made. The point I made is that the choices he makes as a director and as an actor in that movie are a little cheesy. They lay on it too thick and don't let you sit in those moments of like, this is what we're doing. It's like, this is what we're
4: doing. Can you tell he's a good person? They lay it on thick so you know these things, whereas cool. Mr. Smith, they let you believe it. I was talking about the brother because you brought it up, but I could have just as easily bring up uh, the loans that he saves from his uncle that he chooses to run instead of going on the trip, because, you know, that's what's going to be better for the family. And, and your character that you're saying is so realistic. is actually the most unbelievable character, because like I said, yes, let's choose this or that. And my daughter wants that. Let's flip a coin. The coin lands on the side. Oh my God, that must mean I should pick the boy scout. And the guy is so innocent and naive that the first thing, the first bill that they gave him, he, they already screw him on, and he has no vision for it. He gets trapped in the Washington machine. He gets uh, overwhelmed by everything. The first moment that something doesn't go his way by the guy who's supposed to be his friend, he runs away. He literally runs away. And then the big scene that you're saying, the filibuster is impressive up to the point that he literally says, I will never get out of here, and you will never take me out of here. And then he faints, and everybody's like, okay. This is over. The guy is Simpleton in a position that is overwhelming for him.
3: I'm convinced you've never seen the movie because that's, like, the whole point is that he believes so strong. He's literally the head of the Boy Scouts. Like, he's, like, I a know, Boy I know, I just said that. He's a Boy Scout. He comes into Washington with that optimism, and his first bill is to help the Boy Scouts that he came from. He's supposed to be, this is what the average American is. He believes in the system that they built. He When he gets to Washington, it's not that he's overwhelmed and runs away. He's in Washington and wants to see all the sights because he loves America. That's, like, the whole point of that scene. Whereas, again, you keep are trying to hammer the unrealistic nature. Mine is speaking. about, my movie is about the point
4: that what we can what, be, what it's I'm a saying, look at what we can be. What I'm saying is that the movies are the same. It's the effect that one person can have on a town, on a on a city, on sure. a world. Sure. Mine does, just does it better than yours. Yes. No, it doesn't because mine minimizes it to a small town where you can actually see, tactile feel, the impact of the repercussions of the things he chooses to do and he makes logical choices, things that make sense. He... Every time you can see him in every decision that he takes, how he takes the harder road just because it's the right one to take, not because it's commonly. Yours is basically a fantasy. It is basically no, yours, a your guy literally dies. Fine. Point. All right, uh, Nazario,
1: you get to close first. You got one minute when you start talking.
4: It's not realistic that a person in that position would get thrown up into Washington like that. He goes to see the size. He's just. Odd and awestruck and everything, he gets a picture in the paper and he doesn't know what's going on because he doesn't live in that world. It's not realistic. Like I said, it's he gets tricked immediately, and then uh, as soon as his friend betrays him, he runs away because he doesn't have the the the, the mental uh, capabilities of dealing with stuff like that. It's it's just not a realistic movie. Everybody likes the filibuster. It's inspiring to see. It's just like Forrest Gump. A simple man can do great things. It, it's just it doesn't work i think if the when they go smaller with uh, it's a wonderful life it's more real you can see him he's put in realistic situations uh, when he loses the money and he feels like he wants to die yes they, they, sh- they he has this this moment where he's weak and he wants to kill himself and then you can see everything who would, would have gone differently just if he wasn't there because in a small town everybody every little thing you do can repercut and you be a good man matters
1: all right Go over to Koho, who has one minute, when he starts talking.
3: I genuinely don't think Nazario understands the question, because he's arguing what's the most realistic Jimmy Stewart movie, or who's the smarter Jimmy Capra character. But like that argument is, what's the best movie? And the issue that I kept raising about your movie is that when it comes to two Capra-Stewart collaborations— one achieves, they you're right, they're similar movies. One achieves that idea better, which is mine. Yours lays it on too thick. Capra can get too into his own ideas, and then he beats you over the head with the idea that these are good people, which he does throughout his wonderful life. Like, he gets a little too into... Don't you see how good he is? Whereas mine, he lets you sit in the fact that Jefferson Smith is a good person, that he really does believe in America and believes in his people. And yes, he gets manipulated by the system because he believes in the system. He is literally manipulated by the senior by the senior senator who he trusts, who's a family friend. Like, And that's the whole thing, is this movie is a look at what politics are and what they can be. And it's a beautiful, optimistic movie about what we can do as humanity. Yours is cheesy. <laughs> Cheesy. Straight from the record.
1: Uh, okay, <laughs> let's bring in the
4: judges. He uh, literally has Captain Jack Sparrow in his thing.
2: Good thing it's not a Captain Jack Sparrow question. What do I have Jack Sparrow next <laughs> oh.
1: um thing? Okay, I'm
4: ready. I'm not. Hang on.
1: All right. You guys are good. Okay. Uh like I said, I've seen both these movies, so I kind of had an idea of what you're talking about. Uh I hate <coughs> A Wonderful Life. I think that movie sucks. Uh, but that didn't <laughs> go into the go into the question or into the into my opinion here. Uh, Kirk's very upset with me, but I, I do not like I'm movie. also very upset with you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just don't like it. And Cody used to be on my side, but he's gone over. That movie is <laughs> Two we'll hours too long. We'll anyway, you. Uh, that's fair. Uh, and I've even, I even watched the black and white version. Uh, so, <laughs> um, anyway.
2: What uh, speed did you watch that?
1: Um, I thought that it is... Koho kind of painted it right at the beginning. It is tough. Like, these are both good movies. It's hard to say which is better. Um, uh, but I'm sorry, Koho, that it took so long to vote for you. Because I did vote for Caleb. Um, I... I thought that Caleb did a really good job of saying like both of these, I thought his closing was the strongest thing that kind of led me over was where he said both of these characters in these movies are uh, Capra putting Jimmy Stewart as like a really good guy into uh, in a really good movie, but in it's a wonderful life. It's just laid on a little too much. It's too, uh, he goes too deep into it to the point where it's almost kind of obnoxious versus Mr. Smith goes to Washington, which it lets you sit in there and also see the drama of a situation and it has like a hopeful mess like both have hopeful messages. But I thought that Koho did a good job of illustrating why his was just the better of
2: two very good movies.
1: So I went with Koho. Brian, where are you going?
2: Um I, I first think I think Nazario uh really overestimates American politics. If he thinks it's not realistic, then to like put these simple people in these positions and, and manipulate and things like that. Um that being said, um, I also voted for Coho, actually. Um, this one actually could have gone either way for me. Uh, it, it was really close all the way up to the end, and it was almost a coin flip for me. Um, I, I did... did it land on its side? <laughs> yes. No. Um, I, I guess in the end, what I used to to help me decide was, I, I think that Coho uh, really hammered in the point of how uh, It's Wonderful Life is kind of hitting you over the head with everything, whereas his movie you know did it more subtly and let you kind of experience it and learn it for yourself. And Nazario, I, I don't think ever really defended against that line.
1: Okay, uh, Kirk, your vote doesn't count. Where would you have gone and why?
0: I also went Co. Um, I feel like Co did a really good job of kind of turning Nazario's arguing around on him. When Nazario's like, "It's unrealistic. It's a guy. He's, he he does know what's going on. He's simple. He's being manipulated." And Co's like, "Well, that, yeah, that's the point." And uh, to be honest, like there wasn't a whole lot of talk about the movies in depth themselves. It became more of a you know referendum on what was the better Jimmy Stewart character. Um, but I do think also that Coho talked more about the quality of his movie and why it was better. I think, but be- I like them both. I like What's But be- It's a Wonderful Life better. Um, but I think Coho did a better job of uh, tearing his uh, movie down. All right. Uh, so that that means we're all tied up. the hardest I'm working on. I was scared of
3: that <laughs> fight. <laughs> uh,
1: it means we're tied up. We're moving on to the bonus <laughs> question. So here's how this is going to work, gentlemen. Um, I have randomized. Uh, between the two sides of fan zone to decide where this question will come from either fandom or war zone I then randomized the category out of the remaining categories that we did not use uh, from that side of fan zone uh, I'm gonna say a question that I have based off that category that was randomized I am then going to repeat the question once I have repeated it a second time you may then answer when you have an answer say it Don't keep us waiting um Whoever says their answer first, go first. You each will get 45 seconds, and then you each will get 30 seconds. Are there questions? Okay. Then the side of fan zone that was dra- or randomized was the fandom side. The category that was drafted was Mission Impossible. And the question is, who is the best Mission Impossible character other than Ethan Hunt. So, who is the best Mission Impossible character other than Ethan Hunt?
4: Benny, I think is his name, right? Simon Peck? Benji. Benji. Yeah, that's what I'm going for. Okay.
3: is actually really hard uh i'm gonna go ilsa faust okay
1: so uh benji versus ilsa i'm gonna stay on screen but i'm gonna take the other judges off i'm gonna stay on screen to give you guys your countdowns uh so nazario because you answered first you're gonna be going first you got 45 seconds when you start talking
4: i think actually the best thing jj abrams did to the franchise in general was include the benji character because they had done the the first a couple of movies with luther trying to be the brains of the operation but i think the fact that ding rames is so big and so imposing kind of detracts from that side so he needed more of the nerdy guy the the techie guy to balance the fact that they are very focused on ethan hunt's action and the proof is in the pudding the guy uh, has been so successful at doing this comedic smart role that he has been helped for the rest of the franchise and every time the movie comes up everybody's just looking ahead of what is ethan going to jump and what is Benji going to come up with that is going to help solve the situation. It's it's a delicious pair for the Mission Impossible franchise. Okay, Coho, you have 45 seconds.
3: I think Benji's funny, but ultimately, he's the same character in every single movie that he does when he comes back and plays again. I think the best thing they did was introduce Ilsa Faust. I think Ilsa Faust gives Ethan a rival or at least a contemporary who could actually outdo what Ethan does, is one step ahead of Ethan, is as smart as Ethan, but is also, un- you're unsure if you can ever fully trust Ilsa in that first outing, and then once you know you can trust her, she becomes one of the most important and fun side characters in the series, where they actually get to work together, and it's like watching two really great super spies kind of outdo each other. It's like the best thing they did was introduce Ilsa, who is complex and interesting, as this like you don't really know who she works for, or what she's doing, or what she where she's from. Do her and Ethan like each other do they not what's their relationship i think else is the most interesting character time
1: nazario you have 30 seconds
4: i agree that ilsa is a good character i think it was also a fault that she had to split time with solomon lane because in that he's also a very good villain so good that is one of the few that actually carry over to another movie and they basically had to split because we didn't know where she was lined up in the fifth movie. When it's clear in the sixth movie, Solomon Lane is still there. She's now focusing on getting her vengeance there, more than actually interacting with Ethan, like you said. Benji, instead, actually, is just carrying the psychic character to his logical conclusion and actually making it way more interesting. It's a, a reason to see what he invents for the next movies. Right.
3: Coho, 30 seconds. He makes fun gadgets and he says funny things, but he's ultimately the same throughout and you haven't really rebutted that. The thing with Ilsa Fausto you actually just brought up that is great is that in the second movie, when we don't know, when we know what side she's on, her revenge plot is the most interesting thing about Fallout because it gives her a new dynamic and a new interesting angle to go for and she goes after Solomon Lane and Ethan has to keep her from killing Solomon Lane it becomes a new interesting dynamic where he still can't fully trust her because they don't ever quite want the same thing in the same way. It makes her interesting and dynamic, and she's fresh. Every time she comes out, Miss Possible, Benji does the same thing.
1: Time. Okay. I'll bring in the judges. I don't know what I'm doing. There we go. Okay. All right. The long road is coming to an end. As they say. Okay, how are we doing, judges? I'm good.
0: I'm all set. Kirk, you're kicking us off. All right. Uh, yeah, this is a tough one. I think they both came up with good characters, um, for, you know, for different reasons. Uh, but ultimately, I did go with Coho. Um, I think he gave us enough uh Nizaria, and I agree with Nazario. Benji's a very fun character. That's probably who I would have picked. Um, but I don't think he gave me as much as Coho did about the character and what makes him interesting, what makes him unique. I think him taking you know, talking about the villain in the, in the second part of his argument, um, you know, cut, instead of talking about one of the two characters kinda hurt him too. Um, but I just got a little bit more from Coho.
1: Okay, I'll go next. Um these were the characters I immediately thought of when pitching the question. There are a lot you could choose from. There are a lot of great characters in this series, um, but these were definitely the two. Um, and I thought they both brought up interesting points. The the thing, I thought they were pretty even. The thing that kind of won me over in the end, I, I voted for Koho. Um, I think the thing that won me over in the end was Koho um, uh, made a point about Benji doesn't really change from movie to movie. I strongly disagree with that. I don't think that's true at all. And if Nazario had brought up the fact that no, in the first movie he's just like behind the counter, and then he becomes a field agent, and then by the time of the fifth movie he actually saves Ethan's life, and then in the sixth movie he is doing like like there is a progression there. Nazario didn't really speak to that. He kind of stayed on the the train of he's he's funny and he's interesting, but and but and then. Caleb just piled on all these interesting things about Ilsa that um kind of won it over for me. So uh Brian, your vote doesn't count. Where would you have gone and why?
2: Yeah, I think it's hard to hard to do much rebutting in a speed round because you don't have much time as it is to even pitch your own. So I understand why he wasn't really able to defend a lot of that stuff. Um in, in Zario's opening, uh, he absolutely had me with Benji, but I actually ended up going with Koho because uh I thought that he did a good job explaining how his character is more complex and you're you know you don't always know what what her loyalties are what her goals are and everything and, and is she a foil is she a, is she a contemporary um and so while i love benji as a character and, and given more time this debate could have gone a different way but given what we had i voted for uh ilsa with coho's choice
1: yep so that means your winner is caleb coho uh we're gonna start by talking to nazario nazario great match um i think you played really well I, I voted for you three times in a row, much to the dismay of your opponent. Uh, but I thought you did really, really well tonight. And even in, in the match, in the questions that you lost, I thought you did really well. Um, you haven't played in a while, but you're back and you played this match. How are you feeling?
4: Am I? Uh, like you said, it's been a while. Uh, it's also been a longer while since I have watched Mission Impossible movies. So they tend to bleed together for me. Which makes it hard to try to figure out who's there and what's happening. But I mean, I, I feel pretty satisfied. Uh, probably should watch the Jimmy Stewart movies next time. But other than that, I might.
1: Uh, Nazario, we don't have to wait that much longer to see you back, although you won't be uh, in that number one contenders match I was talking about. Uh, we are uh, ramping up for next season to do you a. You disappeared. Uh, I disappeared? Yes. What I you can mean? hear you, but I cannot see oh, you. You were oh, up on okay, screen now. went away. Just, that's okay. weird. Okay. Well, can you still hear oh, There yeah. I am. Hey, that's okay. weird. Uh, we are ramping up for a uh, tournament for next year that you will definitely be a part of. Uh, is Damn. there anybody that you want to debate uh, come that time?
4: Mike Hanley.
1: I'm going to look at the seeds right after this is done. Cause uh, that could be arranged. Uh, so uh, Nazario, great job. Uh, thank you for playing. We'll see you next time as we bring in the winner, Caleb Coho. Caleb, welcome. Uh, you won. Uh, this is your first win of the, of the season. Um, and now you're moving on to a number one contender match next year. Uh, so uh, we don't know who you're going to be playing yet. Yeah. It might still be Kirk if he retains the belt um, or it could know. be the, um, it could be either uh, Brandon Cohen or Bill Cariola. We don't know who he's going to be playing yet. So, one of those three people uh, in the title match. But you're moving on to the contender match. How are you feeling about the match today and then we'll talk about that?
3: Sure. Um I was really like not confident uh, coming into today's debate. Um just cuz like I I I I try and keep my prep like my like five bullet points on each question of what I am going to bring into the match and then try and keep it loose. So I can like rebut in the moment what he has, I don't want to like script it too much. And this time I really only had about two bullet points per question. So I wasn't quite sure if I was going to win too many points. I wasn't quite sure if my prep was strong enough um, and I'm happy. It kind of worked out. I, I just basically came in with the thought, that if I can push it to the speed round, then I feel like I've got a good shot. I'm at my most comfortable in the speed round. Um, I feel really good when I can think of my like like think on my feet and come up with stuff right in the moment. Um, so um I feel pretty good. Um I'm glad this is over. <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to argue with desario on those um Mr. Smith and It's a Wonderful Life question again. Cause genuinely did not want to fight that one because I would have rather fought for It's a Wonderful Life than Mr. Smith,
1: but it worked out. So there we go. Uh so this does mean that you're gonna be in the contender match, it's the season opener next season. Oh, uh, contender match the the first two matches of the season next year the number one contender's match and then the title match uh so you're going to be going up against uh either jacoby bancroft no oh, no or cody
3: newberry <laughs> oh no i hate both of these um like okay um i don't ever want to fight jacoby again we did that once it didn't go well i never want to see my my ex's face ever again uh, Parley was ruined and I wish Parlay could come back. Um, but Cody would be long overdue, uh, because me and him have, we were supposed to debate for a title in a different debate thing years ago. And we mutually agreed. We didn't want to do that. And just called off the fight. Um, so it would be fitting to finally debate Cody one-on-one. I would hate every minute of doing it. Uh, but I, I will fight either one and do it with, with, a, a very upset stomach uh, of nerves um so yeah i'm just glad to be another contender. i'm just happy to be <laughs> that's fair it's nice to be nominated
1: cool we'll see you next season with that everyone yeah. contenders match thanks for being here congrats on the win and let's get final thoughts starting with uh kirk
0: um yeah good fight It i expected they both brought especially that third fight uh was a lot of fun um, I expected for these two the whole time, um, but no, they both fought their fight, and it was close. Um, you know, even when there were very few fights uh, where my vote was, you know, very, you know, I absolutely know for sure this is who won it. Um, you know, they both made me, you know really think about it. Um, so you know, Coho versus, uh, you know, either one of those guys is going to be a great match. Um, but Nazario, you know, he's going to bounce back. He already had a title match. Um, he'll be in t- contention again. So we'll see him again soon.
2: Yeah. Brian, final thoughts from you. Yeah, this is an interesting one because if I looked at like their, their, their answers on paper, I'd say at least half of them, I would have thought that I would end up voting the other way, just based on, based on the answer. But you know, that's what happens to debate and somebody debates their side better. It's just how it goes. So I like being surprised by that. Um, this was a fun debate. Um, I'll be fun to see both their next matches, especially if it's like Mike and uh, Nazario and Mike, that'll be a fun one to watch, obviously. And And if, if Cody happens to win, know cody and coho always argue why not get it you know recorded for once
1: yeah right
2: (laughs) uh so uh
1: that's gonna do it for us today at fan zone debate i want to thank brian and kirk for judging this one thank you uh to nazario and caleb for uh putting up a great match we'll see you guys real soon with the next one which is going to be Jacoby and cody we'll see that and i that might actually be next week i think we're Only one week away on that. We are. That will be right away next week. Uh, And then we got the contender match two weeks after that. So uh, between Brandon and Bill. So we will see you guys real soon with those matches. Until then, have a good one. There we go. Thank you very much. Please come again. We have a lot more
3: groceries.